David composes psalms to God when he defeats his enemies and when he's fleeing from them, when he's studying Torah and when he's sinned, when his kingship is teetering and when it is secure. There is no part of his life, no part of his failures or achievements in which God does not have a role, in which God's presence is not intensely felt. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 94, David's Prayer. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The greatest artistic depiction of King David is not a sculpture or a painting. It is a tiny etching by Rembrandt. Unlike Michelangelo's statue, it does not loom over millions of visitors in Florence, and yet it alone captures the magnitude of David's story. The book of Samuel turns from the high point of David's kingship, his conquest of Jerusalem, and his receiving God's guarantee that his son will succeed him and build the temple, to his greatest failure. During the war against Ammon, David, atop his palace, spies a beautiful woman. Chapter 11, verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Bathsheba is brought to David, and she becomes pregnant by him. David ultimately orders Uriah sent to the front lines, where he is killed. Verse 16. And it came to pass, when Yoav observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Yoav, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. While the Talmud and later rabbis debate the full extent of David's sins, there is no question that these sins are terribly severe. The king is confronted by Nathan the prophet in one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. While this passage is a bit longer than our usual citations, the verses must be read in their entirety in order to perceive the drama of the prophetic declamation. Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he was loath to take of his own flock and of his own herd to provide food for the wayfaring man that visited him. But he instead took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man that visited him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. 
With this, Nathan's words to David come to an end. If one looks to the way this story is traditionally written on parchment in Hebrew, there is at this point a gap, blank space. This space, according to Rabbi Elijah of Vilna, known as the Vilna Gon, represents the interiority of David. We are meant, as it were, to read between the lines and sense David's emotional turmoil in the silence at this moment. And then, unlike Saul after the war with Amalek, instead of making excuses, David simply admits his guilt. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. This, however, does not mean that David will not be punished. The havoc and suffering that will be wreaked upon David's house now begins and will continue over the next many chapters. Bathsheba gives birth to a child which is immediately struck with illness. Verse 16. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. So the Bible describes, but as it further tells us, this was in vain because the child passes away within a week. But Rembrandt takes this moment of David praying to God and preserves it in an image, giving us the etching that we have sent to you today, an etching which tells us a great deal not only about this story, but about David in general. In interpreting this etching, this print, we begin with the following question. Rembrandt did not title his art, and the man here has no name tag, he wears no crown. How do we know this is actually King David? The giveaway is what is lying on the floor, because there is only one biblical character known to have a harp. Indeed, if you look carefully, you'll see on the other side of David another object, a book, which clearly represents sacred scripture. David, in other words, kneels between the two emblems of his own history, the harp and the book. Simon Schama notes that, quote, the harp was especially significant in Protestant Holland, where the Psalms were at the heart of the liturgy and could be heard in every Sunday church service, the most direct form of address between the congregant and God, end quote. But here, ladies and gentlemen, is the problem. The harp clues us into the fact that this is David, but in Rembrandt's image, the harp is strewn on the floor and his sacred scripture is unopened. David is praying here, but he is making use of neither the word of God nor of his musical instrument because neither at this moment help him when his son is dying. So all he can do is personally plead, pour out his heart to God. This is, in other words, a moment when all the usual modes of prayer and spiritual expression do not work. Only the torment and turbulence of David's very soul will do. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik describes how, when his beloved wife was dying in the hospital and the thought of losing her was unbearable, he needed to reach out to God. And he wrote, quote, However, I could not pray in the hospital. Somehow I could not find God in the whitewashed long corridors among the interns and the nurses. However, the need for prayer was great. I could not live without gratifying this need. The moment I returned home, I would rush to my room fall on my knees and pray fervently. God, Rabbi Soloveitchik continued, God in those moments appeared not as the exalted, majestic king, but rather as a humble, close friend, brother, father. In such moments of black despair, he was not far from me. He was right there in the dark room. I felt his warm hand kaviyochol on my shoulder. I hugged his knees. He was with me in the narrow confines of a small room, taking up no space at all. End quote. So a rabbi, learned in Jewish texts, believes God is everywhere, and he has at his mental disposal all the prayers of Jewish tradition, yet he must rush home and approach God as a father, as he pours out his heart on behalf of his wife that he loves so much. A form of this is what Rembrandt is depicting. David is a powerful king, he's author of the Psalms, and yet at this moment, precomposed words are not sufficient. Heartfelt prayer pours out from within him.
God, in this story, does not heed his request, and the child dies. But after these words come pouring out of David, they later become part of the Psalms themselves. And the words in the Psalms allow us to further understand this image. All the Bible tells us is that David lay on the floor praying to God for seven days. But Rembrandt places him before his bed. Why? Here, as Shama notes, quote, David is atoning at the altar of his transgression. The curtain gathered and folded over the bedpost recapitulates his sin even as he prays for the life of his child, end quote. This is true, but I would add that Rembrandt, I think, is drawing this idea from the words that David poured out before God after his sin, which we now have in Psalms. And the psalm reads, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Those are David's words. My sin is ever before me. And so the bed, then, is the reminder of David's sin. And I would add that the bed is also a reminder of much more. I visited Rembrandt's house in Amsterdam, and the recreation of Rembrandt's bed looks exactly like it does in the etching of David. He's giving us a bed as it may have looked in Rembrandt's time. It was in Dutch beds such as these where, in Rembrandt's age, children were born and where people died. Indeed, before there were hospitals, the bed at home was the center, the epitome of both life and death. Rembrandt understood this because he had had stillborn children from his beloved wife Saskia, and he had had one son who survived as well. He understood that the bed was where children were born, where children were delivered alive and not alive, and that the bed was where human beings in those days ultimately passed away. The bed thus represents the fragility of life, the mortality inherent in life, but also perhaps the potential of future birth and joy. And Rembrandt knows as well that though God does not respond positively to David's prayer before this bed for his son, soon the bed will be the site of the conception of another son with the same woman. Verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. This etching then is of David pouring out his heart, saying words that would later become a psalm. This picture is one in which Rembrandt renders a psalm into an image, capturing, as no other artist could, the personality of the man that composed that psalm. That psalm reveals the interiority of David, the true source of his royalty. We have quoted before the writer Thomas Cale, who argued that the psalms are a, quote, treasure trove of personal emotions and a unique early roadmap to the inner spirits, adding that David's words, quote, reassure us that 3,000 years ago people laughed and cried just as we do, bled and cursed, danced and leapt, that our whole repertoire of emotions was theirs, end quote. This is exactly right. But to this description, one more point must be added. Every one of David's psalms, poetry and prayers that run the gamut of the human spirit, every one is addressed and dedicated to God. David composes psalms to God when he defeats his enemies and when he's fleeing from them, when he's studying Torah and when he's sinned, when his kingship is teetering and when it is secure. There is no part of his life, no part of his failures or achievements in which God does not have a role, in which God's presence is not intensely felt. The drama of David's life is within, and his relationship with God is within. He experiences an intimacy with the Almighty that cannot be found with almost anyone else in history. 
Or as Rabbi Soloveitchik once put it, if David was the one who could propose and design a house of God, it was because his psalms showed how the human being could be the first true temple of the divine, how one could encounter God in the interiority of oneself, in one's loneliness and desperation. That, I think, is why the common trope one sees today, where people at times compare David to other leaders that fail, is mistaken. The failings of David do not cease to shock, but the intimacy with Almighty God at the moment after his sin highlights David's singularity. Rembrandt understood this. In his image, Rembrandt shows how he comprehended that if you truly want to know who David was, it is here, pouring out his heart. The powerful David of Michelangelo in this etching cannot be found, but the spiritual David can be seen. David was anointed by Samuel with the teaching that what matters is not height but heart. And that is why, instead of a statue, Rembrandt illustrates to us how the full drama of David's story can be held in the palm of our hand. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.